can't do this. I can't dive. I'm going to die during this dive. I mean, the, all these kind of thoughts have popped into my head. Like when you're in the middle of this kind of floundering mess of emotions and, and thoughts and just being able to take one step sideways, jump out of the river and see all of that for what it is from the riverbank. Um, and so that combined with the breathing means that any, any kind of situation, you can gain perspective and keep your mind and body calm pretty much was that like I was all in like I was just everything that I did um eat breathe sleep was all freediving it does take you to a different place it's a completely different experience um it helps to slow the mind down to turn it off even um and definitely to get into a more kind of calm state of state of being Hey Hoverkeeping well, I'm Brian Moylet, former rugby player, now high performance mindset coach and welcome to the pod. This podcast is about well-being and high performance and in it you will learn how you can be happier, more fulfilled and more successful in what you're doing. I recently wrote the book on how you become a pro rugby player, Forward by Robbie Henshaw, which went to number one in the charts and you can get this now on Amazon and Audible with the links in the show notes. Please connect with me now over on social media at Brian Moylet at Offfield Rugby and my website is offfieldrugby.com. If you enjoy the pod, please subscribe to it and leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening now. And also, you can send it on some friends. Would really appreciate that. All right, we'll get into today's episode. Cheers. Hey, Overkeeping Well, today I'm chatting with world's greatest freediver, William Truebridge, who has, among other things, set 18 world records, as of my count, could be, could be wrong, um, multiple world championships, and is the first person ever to dive over 100 meters deep into the sea on a single breath. Cheers for jumping on, William. Thanks, Brian. It's good to be here. See, as, as I was chatting before, as we were chatting before um, hit record, a friend of mine told me about your book a few months ago here in New Zealand. And I had kind of heard about free diving, but I didn't quite understand how much of an extreme sport it was. So a lot of the audience here would be rugby people. Would you just first of all kind of explain what free diving is, um, the extent of it, and yeah, just what a, a free dive is or what kind of dives you will be doing. Sure, yeah. So free diving is basically the sport of breath hold diving. So taking a breath and descending as far as you can go, um, swimming under your own steam. And there's three main disciplines with fins where you can wear like the regular bifins or a monofin, which is like a big mermaid tail uh free immersion where you're allowed to to pull on the rope to go down and up and no fins where you just rely on your hands and feet and that's the one that i i specialize in so it is an extreme sport normally when people think of extreme sports they think of um kind of high risk uh endeavors like base jumping that kind of thing and sure there is risk in freediving it's definitely if you're doing it by yourself extremely treacherous uh, but when it's done with the right kind of safety measures put in place or in competitions it's actually not as dangerous as it as it sounds mm. and 
when you mentioned um dangerous yeah so you can on the way up you can black out because uh, you're obviously running out of of oxygen and that's the danger that's the main danger yeah and if you were by yourself blacking out under the water is fatal 100 of the time but when you are with safety divers they can grab you and bring you to the surface so it's that last kind of 10% of the dive that's the most delicate where you're approaching the surface and your oxygen stores are running low. And for the last kind of 30 meters on the way up, we are accompanied by safety divers who are watching us. And if we stop moving or show signs of blackout, then they just simply grab us and bring us to the surface. And then there's no water that goes into the lungs. If you black out underwater, your mouth and your glottis remain shut. And as soon as you're brought to the surface, uh, normally the, the, just the, fact of being above the surface and feeling the, the air on your face again stimulates nerves on your face that cause you to breathe. Uh, so that is benign, um, but it's obviously something we want to avoid in a, in a free dive because it's obviously the, uh, a failure. So um, it's about kind of judging your capacity and, and trying to go as deep as you can, but without obviously going to the point where you've overreached and black out. Mm. And so talk to me about like how you stay calm and how you how you do that, like being at the surface. And I'm sure like I've read your book and how you spend a couple of minutes um, like relaxing. Isn't it all about relaxing the mind and body before you go down? Yeah, that's paramount before the dive itself. So I often say that the dive is decided in the preparation because how relaxed you are, the kind of state that you've gotten into before the dive determines so much about the, the dive itself and the success of it. And if you're agitated, if you haven't been able to slow your system down and slow your thoughts down, then you're going to take that into the dive as well as the oxygen debt that that's causes um, because when you're tense you have a slight oxygen debt compared to when you're completely relaxed so that's obviously not the best way to to start the dive we want to be completely relaxed and in a state where you feel like you're almost like about to drop off to sleep but it's goes against kind of the state that we're normally in when we're like trying to break a world record or trying to do something um, that's very, very difficult. In those situations, you your body naturally activates the, the fight or flight system. Um, so your heart rate is going to go up. You can have adrenaline and cortisol coursing through your veins. So that all of that is, is great for other sports like boxing or sprinting where you need that extra energy, that extra kind of um, elevated system. But in freediving, it's the absolute opposite. We have to be able to slow down in order to perform at our best. Mm. And it's something I learned later in my career in rugby about, about that, about calming the mind, calming the body. And if you perform way better. You know, you perform way better when you can connect to your breathing and slow down everything, even though you're going out to smash people. Um, and... Yeah, chat to me about like how exactly do you do that? So say when you're like you're gonna do a world record attempt, you're gonna be diving 
more than 100 meters down into the water and you're say leaving the beach to go out to the platform like how do you control and not get overwhelmed yeah <clears throat> so firstly i'd say that like in other sports um such as rugby or i'm now coaching um in, in tennis and some other sports as well there are those moments where you have to give it everything right you have to run as fast or hit the ball as fast as you can and so in that moment you definitely don't want to dampen the system but you can't remain in that state for the entire game the entire match so there has to be moments like in the in the downtime between points or between plays when you're able to reactivate that calming system in order to give you um kind of a, a mini recovery in order to replenish and so i think being able to go in and out of the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous systems in a game in other sports like that is really important uh, but in freediving the way that i activate the parasympathetic calming nervous system uh, it's the way that i teach also people who have difficulties with stress or anxiety it's a two-part approach that uses both breathing, so a physical component, and what I call observer mind, so a mental component, in order to like have a holistic approach to, to calming. So the breathing is a specific type of breathing. It's not complicated, not difficult. Uh, and the idea is that it can be done in the background. It can be done automatically, subconsciously, because anything that you have to like think about and, and go, okay, I need to like do the style of breathing where I breathe in for six seconds and out for 12 seconds and I roll up my tongue, like all, all these kind of things. It's, it's never going to be applicable, not in sport, not in day-to-day -day life, um, but breathing passively, diaphragmatically and nasally is a hundred percent applicable all the time. We revert to that when we're asleep. That's how easy it is. So that style of breathing calms the nervous system, calms the, uh, activates the parasympathetic rest and digest nervous system. And then mentally, the observer mind is a little more um, difficult to describe, but just as powerful. And it is this um, approach of detaching from your thoughts or from everything that's happening around you, from all the input and seeing it as information coming to your awareness. Uh, and that's easy to do when it's stuff that's happening around you, like noises or sights or sounds. It's a lot more difficult when it's stuff that's happening internally. So your own emotions, your own thoughts. Seeing those as information is uh, takes more kind of application and practice, but when you can, then it absolutely extinguishes the power of those negative thoughts or negative emotions over you because as soon as you like a thought pops into your head like uh, i'm going to kick this ball to the left of the of the the post or um i can't do this i can't dive or i'm going to die during this dive i mean the, all these kind of thoughts have popped into my head then instead of like being overwhelmed by that um you just see it as a part of your brain that has uh, or a chemical process in your brain that's caused this thought that you didn't control you didn't ask for it um, and it's coming to your awareness in the same way that my voice is coming to your awareness now it's just information that you're receiving and you the only real you is 
literally the speck of consciousness that is observing that and all the other information. So that's observer mind in a nutshell. It takes more explanation and obviously takes more practice than that. Um, but being able to flit and flick into that state at will is extremely powerful. It just, it's like being able to jump out of the river. Like when you're in the middle of this kind of floundering mess of emotions and, and thoughts and just being able to take one step sideways, jump out of the river and see all of that for what it is from the riverbank. Um, and so that combined with the breathing means that any, any kind of situation, you can gain perspective and keep your mind and body calm. Brilliant. Yeah, 100%. And is, have you found meditation to be the best skill in practicing your ability to step out of the river to detach from your thoughts and be aware of them happening? Yeah, I don't, I don't meditate myself, although in freediving, like any freedive is itself um, basically a meditation, but I don't have a meditation practice. And I, I avoid using that word, not because there's anything wrong with it, but because it kind of gets stigmatized, even mindfulness, effectively, it is a form of mindfulness. Um, but um, yes, that will help with this, it definitely helps to align yourself with that observer mind and the the consciousness, but it's not 100% necessary. I think anyone can arrive at the same result without having to sit on a mat for 15, 20 minutes every day. Um, it's something that you can achieve just by noticing where your thoughts are coming from and by aligning yourself with the part of you that's doing the noticing, not all the actual thoughts themselves. So that's, that's the kind of key to it. Um, and there's other techniques in the system that I propose um, to help that along. But yeah, it's not not necessarily too complicated. Yeah, cool. So so the main the main thing would be kind of as you're going about your day, just kind of constantly bringing awareness to your thoughts, your body, where you are, and 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 doing it that way. Yeah, bringing awareness to your breath. <clears throat> so in those situations, and the way that I teach it is that it's, <clears throat> excuse me, my voice is, is going with this virus. The way that I teach it is that it is most important to tackle the small, um, the small wins, the small goals. So don't try and kind of like overcome the biggest source of stress or anxiety straight away. Just deal with the small ones. And in those moments, bring your attention to your breathing. Make sure you're breathing into the diaphragm through the nose. And then also how you are uh, mentally, like where from where you are seeing this, this situation, the stress or whatever it is. So um, those small victories will uh, work to ingrain the system or these techniques into your subconscious mind and that is the real game changer here because it has to become subconscious in order for it to work mm -hmm. in the heat of the moment like in the game or in the argument with your spouse you're never going to remember to do something it has to be like in the same way that's, that's why i call it an immune system the mental immune system is because in the same way that we respond to a virus physically uh, without deciding to like produce antibodies or do anything in the body, uh, we have to respond to these mental viruses, the, the negative thoughts and the emotions, everything else, with an automatic reflexive system um, that 
that deals with it before you even kind of realize that you're in that situation. And that's that happens to me all the time. I'll be um, the other day, um, we're in the middle of a scandal at the moment and our business account got hacked into and they changed all sorts of stuff. And for, so for 30 minutes, we didn't have access to the account. And according to my aura ring, like my heart rate didn't change that whole time that I was working on it and dealing with it. Um, and, I th and it was because like automatically the system had been just kicked in and um, was dealing with that side of it, which allows me to perform better and allows me to kind of have a clearer mind, to concentrate better, um, if it's sport, to perform better there. So it really is a, a game changer when it becomes subconscious. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I'm many levels below you, but I fully understand what you're saying in that, say you mentioned there are sports or an argument and they can bring up similar emotions in you in that anger, overwhelm, frustration, these kind of strong emotions in the body. And it's when you are in this practice and a you you just straight away bring awareness you you feel your body feeling a certain way and then you connect to your breath and you step back from that feeling and you become kind of conscious awareness versus when i'm just trying to word it out so people listening and, and just to make sure i'm making sense but um so then when you're in a game you're not attaching to that and then getting overwhelmed and then your head's gone that's what people say his head's gone mm -hmm. absolutely yeah and we don't need to be in this state the whole time like there are there are occasions where if things are going really well it's a it's a beautiful situation you're winning the game you just won it you want to experience that right you don't want to like try and detach from that it's only when something's um something's not gone right and you need to stop yourself from spiraling because of that thing that you want to be able to sidestep and say okay here's my um my point of observation like i'm i'm not in the middle of that i'm just over here um observing it so yeah it's, it's a tool um that's designed for those kind of adverse situations i guess mm, yeah brilliant and so as I was saying, I do mental skills at rugby teams, mainly like mindset and performance. And something I was thinking about doing this week, actually, with the team that I'm with at the moment is to in training. So tell them beforehand what I'm what I'm planning to do and why. And then in training to intentionally stress them as much as possible. So get them wrestling maybe with each other for 30 seconds or a minute, get them doing sprints, burpees, and then bring them into me. And I've already brought them through a guided meditation um, because this would be very new. It's Canterbury under 19s. They, none of them would ever have meditated or have done anything like this. So I've already started that awareness somewhat. And then anyway, stress them out in training and then bring them in and get them to relax. So to try to relax, to try to get out of their mind to relax into their body, to connect to their breath, to slow down their breathing, to slow down their heart rate. That's something that I was kind of thinking of. What, what do you think about that? 
Yeah, I think that would be good. I would just make sure um, it sounds kind of severe, but it, you would need to make sure that the <clears throat> the what they go through to begin with is because um, these guys will be used to kind of being physically pushed and that for them will be like a, almost a good thing. Like if you're working out, then pushing yourself physically does, isn't something that you need to deal with mentally. So it would have to be some kind of extra thing, like almost like abusing them physically and um, mm -hmm. uh, verbally abusing them um, and putting them in situations where they are not comfortable, where they maybe have to kind of, I don't know, have altercations between them. So like, it, it's, again, it sounds severe, but you want to like throw them way out of their comfort zone um, in a way that's kind of, a little bit weird or or just yeah but, and and then bring them back to that space and say okay here's the techniques we're going to use and watch them work oh you, it's brilliant yeah you're spot on and when you're speaking there it reminded me of and this is very extreme um but tiger woods's dad used to abuse him when he was playing and tiger then had to maintain calmness throughout and he did and look there's you can extrapolate that out and the extent to which he did it for the amount of years he did it didn't had bad effects or you know could have led to other things which didn't help tiger in the long run but that's how he was always so calm and poised always mm. and winning so in golf you know in golf he was just he was unmovable unshakable because mm -hmm. yeah he used his dad used to try and throw him off like like call him names and stuff and there it was he let him know that he was doing that and if ever he wanted yeah, to stop there's a safe word absolutely i think if it's done knowingly um with that kind of caveat and, and like i say a safe word then it'll still be uncomfortable and and they'll still have to deal with it but they won't feel like they're actually being properly like abused or anything <laughs> Yeah, so maybe I'll, uh, yeah, that's brilliant that you say that. Maybe I'll have to get another coach to come in and berate them or something after the right. physical part. Yeah, yeah. It must be something. I mean, you have to get inventive and creative, but there'll be something that you can think of which um, really kind of throws them out of their, their comfort zone and has them questioning the whole thing. And, um, and, and obviously that will stir up kind of negative thoughts in them. And that's, basically would be the goal of the exercise right is to get them in the middle of this kind of um negative inner turmoil and having to cope with that yeah because because that's essentially what what it's all about isn't it like you mentioned before and how you're working with tennis players and uh, golfers and that's like that's what the mental game is, is nearly about when it's all going well it's all good but when you concede a try when you miss a shot when things aren't going well it's that's when you need to be skilled at bringing it back mm. exactly yeah if you look at the the best champions say in tennis they're the ones who um, invariably like defend match points uh, defend break points better than anyone else um, so in those pressure moments when things aren't working out they're the ones who know how to step up mentally and raise the game hmm. and how are you finding working with different athletes 
Yeah, it's good. Um, I once heard somewhere on a different podcast that context is more important than content, um, meaning that it's more important to kind of listen to each particular scenario and that person's predicament and respond to that rather than just trying to, to give the same content that I've devised or that's worked for other people. So yeah, in each case, I've, I've tried to think about or put myself in that person's shoes and think about which of these techniques um, would be most applicable, how to maybe mold them to their situation better. Um, so that's that's been interesting and, and rewarding as well. Mm. Yeah, and so the awareness throughout the day and then what would you say another thing that would would help someone? Yeah, taking on, as I said before, these small, small difficulties. <clears throat> so whenever something like minor um, affects you, if it's just like, um, I don't know, you have to stand in line um, at Starbucks or someone cut you off on traffic or someone said something slightly rude to you at work. All these kind of small occasions where we tend to flare up a little bit inside, but we're not fully kind of activated and like full on stress mode. Then those are opportunities to, um, to use the system and to strengthen it and to embed it. You're basically scripting it into your subconscious mind by using these small, small examples. In the same way that in sport, you know, we don't um, we don't just go to, to to training or practice and and play a game each time. You know, we're concentrating on small details, um, this movement, that stroke, um, this exercise and building up pieces bit by bit. And so the same with, with a mental approach, you have to take on the kind of small difficulties, the small hurdles and build the technique up in that way. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Um, makes perfect sense, 100%. And I like your analogy then with, with sport as well, or training in sport. And something when I was reading your book, I found really cool um you you mentioned at one point how you were paying twenty thousand dollars to do a world record attempt like that you had to kind of fork it out and and then you mentioned at one point like risk like say thoughts that were going on in your mind like you mentioned earlier but one was like say bankruptcy or like not having money and so were you when you were starting out like you had a dream um you mentioned you're doing i think you wanted to hit 60 or 70 meters and you've gone far beyond that, but you had a dream of where you wanted to get to. And so essentially you were all in and you were like just earning, earning bits of money to, to fuel, to continue living, to continue pursuing your dream or like, or just chat to me, am I right or wrong? Or when you're early on, on your journey. Yeah, it, it pretty much was that, like I was all in, like I was just everything that I did, um, eat, breathe, sleep was all freediving. <clears throat> and it's a sport where even now there's there's very little money in the actual sport itself. There's a little bit in endorsements and other kinds of things, but there's no payouts or um, salaries for freedivers. There's no prize money or anything. So 
yeah, it was it was difficult to um, make ends meet, and that also um, provides a lot more pressure on those performances. So in that particular case, I had kind of crowdfunded the record attempt, but I'd done so in a way it had like a flaw to it. This is before crowdfunding had even been invented. And the flaw was that if the event was unsuccessful, I wouldn't get paid, but I would still have all the same expenses. And so I'd basically lose 20K that I didn't have. And so thinking about that going into this record attempt that you have to be successful doesn't help with the, the stress part at all. Um, so I had to kind of work on the mental side even more to develop techniques to really like put that out of my mind and just focus on the here and the now and the attempt that was before me. Mm. And so class. And so those early days and like you were kind of going over to Europe and South America and you're you're just training as much as you could and you were you're teaching alongside it and just um that's how you kind of kept made ends meet. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I was instructing. Um I had one or two small sponsors that were helping and I was living a very frugal life. Like early on, I was uh living with my girlfriend there's a, a joke in freediving what do you call a uh freediver who's split up with his girlfriend homeless <laughs> um, <laughs> and that was would have applied to me at the at the time um so yeah i was living frugally and and just putting it all back into into training um but eventually um it paid off and i was able to kind of have a life um living between now i live between the bahamas and japan where my wife is from we have two gorgeous kids and um so yeah i'm, I'm obviously very happy with how it all turned out um, but it's still not a sport where there's uh, it's, it's still kind of like a fringe sport so there's no like dependable income in it yeah um congrats and so like when you've kind of like created like when you you've created something that wasn't really there then like when you were starting out like you know like you've 160,000 followers on Instagram now and I'm sure you have plenty of sponsors and um aren't you part of uh, Deep Blue the or is that did you set that up the vertical blue or vertical blue sorry yeah yeah, that's that's my business. Um, and it's also the event that we run in the Bahamas, which has now become kind of like the the pinnacle of of freediving competitions. Yeah. And so you've um yeah, like when you were starting out, you're saying you're trying to make ends meet and like nobody there was no one you could look towards who had all this stuff, like nobody who had followers on Instagram to get sponsors or who had a a company like you have. So when you were there were there were one or two freedivers who yeah um who had been successful mostly in france and italy because in those countries it was pretty big especially back in the 90s um and even earlier in the days of enzo Mallorca and jacques mayol who are the people that the movie the big blue is based on so they they would have had good sponsors as well um but they were kind of one-off there wasn't like a competitive circuit with athletes and so that really began at about the time that I started competing and um and now we have vertical blue and a number of other events that are annual on that circuit cool and so you were it was obviously just a love of it and then 
you just got really good at it and then the other things came from that from your ability yeah yeah so I was, I was fortunate enough to be able to then um fund my lifestyle and my family based on this this passion that i had cool cool and um that's class and so yeah you spend what half the year in in the bahamas and then the rest in japan yeah yeah it's not easy traveling between those two places and then also new zealand when we come back um once every year or so to visit family uh but um other than the travel of course it's it's an amazing lifestyle yeah and how's um running the business that must be challenging is it it is and it's yeah there's there's always challenges um around any kind of um endeavor in a sport like this because it's it's something that's so new and um and doesn't fit the mold i guess and so like just for getting insurance or those kind of things um is, is always a, a hurdle but we and especially because it's in a small island and the out islands of the bahamas um but we've managed to solve uh all the problems that we've been encountered with so far this year actually the the drama or the biggest problem was uh doping athletes we knew that we had a number of athletes who were going to attend the competition um who were doping and that we had to do something to to stop them because they were um in the business of of attempting world records and and national records and so yeah we launched a campaign that ultimately did catch um the main the main ones so that was successful it's still creating more drama as we speak um but um yeah each year there seems to be something like this that adds an extra layer of complexity mm, i saw that yeah i saw that on your instagram and um so what is what is that people have started taking epo or some different things to give themselves more oxygen um maybe there's um it's it's difficult we we caught some athletes who are coming into the country um with a bunch of pharmaceuticals in the in the luggage including uh including benzodiazepines which are for like relaxing you and and calming calming you down um but they also had masking agents uh diuretics which are used typically to cover up other um classes of drugs and so it's likely that they'd been using those to disguise other things that they didn't have in their luggage uh so so yeah we're not really sure even viagra is something that's um that's on the list now because it turns out that that helps um a lot uh with low oxygen performance so at sea level probably doesn't make a difference but um there's an article that goes into how athletes performing at altitude seem to have a benefit from uh use, using viagra and obviously freediving is the ultimate low oxygen environment so it um stands to reason that it would benefit there as well so we're trying to kind of do something to stem this this uprisal of uh of doping that's coming into the sport yeah yeah it's unfortunate but yeah and then maybe we'll have to get like uh urine samples 
on side or is that kind of a next level the next step we did that we did that as well and that caught one of the one of the other athletes as well whose whose results are still being processed um but yeah those those random urine samples are really important as well yeah and are you, i suppose it's all new and then protocol for bands like a couple of year bands or mm-hmm. I think the the standard um, ban for these substances is is four years. Uh, we'll see that those decisions haven't been made yet. Yeah, and going back to performing, so like when you're um, coming up from a dive, I'm sure on the way down, like you have enough oxygen, and you mentioned then once again in the book reading about like narcosis, and so that's kind of when is that kind of when you're you're not 100% with it, um, lucid, like you're not 100% lucid? There's there's two elements. So there's narcosis and hypoxia. Hypoxia is the low oxygen, which happens towards the end of a dive. And yes, if you are hypoxic, you lose lucidity. So if you come to the surface and you're hypoxic, you might have what we call a samba, which is where you kind of actually shake a little bit and you can't really um, control what you're doing. And so then you fail the surface protocol that you have to give at the end of the dive. So that's hypoxia, but narcosis is something that happens at depth and it's due to the, the gases that are in your body, the nitrogen and the carbon dioxide as well, which at high pressure, they start to, um, behave on your nerve endings such that you yeah, you get an altered state to a certain extent so narcosis can be euphoric but it can also be um completely the opposite where you would like descend into hallucination or paranoia um so it's a very kind of fickle beast uh, but it only happens on the the very deep free dives and scuba diving it happens from around 30 40 meters or deeper in free diving typically the first time i felt it it was maybe 60 70 meters but now after developing a tolerance i don't experience it until i'm going deeper than about 110 meters or so okay and when you're diving like you essentially would i be correct in saying go into the subconscious mind and kind of completely turn off your conscious mind would that be right that's the goal, yeah. The goal is to not really have any thoughts and to allow the body to operate completely automatically. So that's your subconscious taking over. And we do that, we achieve that by scripting the subconscious through training, through doing repetitive dives over and over. So it becomes kind of mind muscle memory. And also through visualization, which I call programming of the subconscious mind Uh, so those two allow you basically to script the dive you want to achieve and then during the dive itself it's all just about execution you don't need to think you don't need to make any decisions um, along the way so it's just your body carrying out the task and the mind doesn't really like being sidelined like that too much so sometimes you have to kind of like put a pacifier in the baby's mouth to a certain extent, like give it something super easy to do. Um, that's just enough to keep it occupied, but not so much that it takes a lot of your brain power, which is also in this case, oxygen. So what I normally do is either give it like a really simple, like nursery rhyme tune to hum 
or like to just kind of hum in your head at very, very slow speed. Or I count the strokes. Um, I do a stroke every mm, three, four seconds or so. So the, counting those is a really, really slow rhythm. Um, that's in terms of kind of like bit rate of, of thoughts, it's like as minimal as possible, but it's enough to stave off any other kind of thinking. So having that pacifier in its mouth, the baby in my brain doesn't <laughs> doesn't get involved with like thinking about where I am, what I'm doing, how far I still have to swim, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. No, I, I love that. That's brilliant. Yeah. About the giving the mind something. Yeah. Because it's probably borderline impossible to completely switch it off. And one thing I've been thinking about, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. So with rugby, I experienced, um, I got a really bad injury about five years ago and I started looking into mindfulness and all this stuff to just be have be better in life. And then it, I found out in rugby, I was like, wow, I'm just playing so well. What What, what is this? And I have this idea in that I think in rugby, a lot of the reason that people go out of the flow state, what we're talking about here, is often coaching coaches will give them too many instructions so give people too many mm. instructions do this do this do this when we're here do this and they're shouting on instructions all the time hey do this do this and then the player of course can't is in their head um and then another reason is teammates i say borderline bad teammates kind of like shouting at each other you know sometimes you have little environments like that like william why'd you drop the ball and etc versus just allowing things to flow so i think i have this idea that if you could have it's difficult with more people like 15 people just completely in flow and just in the moment and just playing and you would have to let go of the giving instruction and just allow the subconscious to take over and let it be what it would be you know because the rugby players they've done their training during the week like when you talk about your strokes like you know your strokes like you know them more than you know yourself like you've done it so many times and these rugby players have played rugby for 15 20 years like they know how to play rugby and they know how to in the moment do it even though it's some people might say oh but it's different because rugby it's a ball's going everywhere but it's the same you're playing the game you know you know the game like the mm. back of your hand the same way you know your dive and so i don't know i just have this idea where that's that's the that's the epitome of high performance in rugby mm. is mm. is that yeah i think you might be onto something there um because I, I definitely think that overthinking and switching on the rational mind in those circumstances is <laughs> excuse me is the worst thing you can do we've all seen like the case of in soccer the guy who's like Messi or someone who's able to weave his way through five defenders and then strike the ball into the corner. But maybe later when it's just them and the goalkeeper one-on-one, -on -one, they've got all the time in the world and they use that time to start thinking and inevitably screw it up. And that happens with like in tennis with overhead sm smashes where you've got like a a second to think about where to put the ball um, and and turning on the mind in that way just um, is the wrong thing to do. So yeah, if you are able to keep the, the athletes, the players in that state where they are just 
letting their bodies and their subconscious play, then I think that could be peak performance. And maybe you could, the coach could still be giving them instructions, but they are instructions that uh, trigger things which are already stored within the subconscious. So for instance, it's a play um, that, a, a style of playing which they've practiced so many times that they can just switch into that and it becomes a new thing that they're doing subconsciously. So you're just kind of triggering that, but definitely to say, to tell them to do something new, which they have to think about and then turn on their rational mind. I don't think that would be the, the right approach. Mm, and very interesting you say that because very good coaches, I've learned this from the best coaches in the world, will say so little at halftime. They'll say so little. They might give like one key point or mm -hmm. two points. Whereas I'll just say in experienced coaches, they'll say, do this, do this, do this. And then I saw this and then this and then this and then this and then this. And then it's like, whoa, you, you're just frazzling the, the players. Right. So it's not like the the speech in any given Sunday, the Al Pacino speech at halftime. I'll tell you a funny one. Some coaches before games start giving speeches and start giving uh, before the match. And then half the time the players are like, why are you even doing this? It's like for the coach themselves. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, they don't need to be racked up anymore. They've, they, they've got that 100% already. Exactly, exactly. Um, well, hey, thanks so much for chatting. Um, it's been unreal. And really mm. appreciate it and class getting your insights and um i so with say freediving just like going forward where do you see the sport going yeah i hope that it will continue to grow it is i mean it's growing exponentially especially in in asia in southeast asia and china and taiwan and korea <clears throat> so i expect and i hope that it will continue to do so because what I've seen is that people who come to the sport inevitably become stewards of the ocean and the seas as well. And that's very important to me. Um, that's why I would like everyone to try freediving because it shows that the sea and the ocean is our home as well. We live on a planet where 70% of it is water and that part of it is also our home. We can enter it and and exists there um, just like the aquatic mammals. So that's kind of like a, a selfish goal that I have um, and I've forgotten the question, but um, yeah, where, where do I see the, the sport going? I would like to see it grow so that everyone takes better care of our oceans, which is pretty much like the lifeblood of our planet. Yeah, and I remember just um once again, going back to the book, how you started out that you were a kid, um, your family, you were living on the boat and like going down to the bottom of the ocean and like sitting there for a bit and going back up. And I just remember that. And you said that every kid has done that. I remember being in the swimming pool and when I was a kid, three, four, well, I don't know, five years of age, and I was able to swim and just going down and kind of being there and just being on the ground, on the bottom. And since anyway, since reading the book in the last week or two, I always go to the sauna but I just jumped into the pool and kind of tried to start doing that again. But um, mm. I and that's so cool. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing just how even being one, two meters under the water, 
um, immersed in that liquid, it does take you to a different place. It's a completely different experience. Um, it helps to slow the mind down, to turn it off even, um, and definitely to get into a more kind of calm state of state of being. Yeah, and I know that I think you might have been touching on. Correct me if I'm wrong, but when you when I mentioned meditation, and you're kind of like, oh, and I think it's got a negative connotation now in that. Um, people think it's a tick the box like oh i meditated today whereas it's mm -hmm. that's not it and that's it's kind of become a trendy thing um but whereas yeah going down into the water like that and i need to get a weight or something so i can stay down there more easily i need to get i don't know get a, a dumbbell to bring in with me but um that's <laughs> kind of really it's so peaceful that's that's kind of mm. like if someone doesn't meditate try that out yeah, definitely. And it, and it's my favorite style of, of diving. I, I mean, I enjoy going super deep and, and attempting records, but my the most beautiful dive for me um, is to yeah, 10, 15 meters or so and just lying on the bottom, maybe in a kind of a, a sandy coral garden with these little fish that come out to, to check you out. And for a minute or a couple of minutes or more you don't feel any urge to breathe you feel like you're completely kind of um inserted into that that environment and part of it rather than just a, a tourist down there and that's yeah the most amazing experience yeah and i was just last thing i am um... Remember in the book reading that you were in Christchurch or off the coast of Christchurch from a dolphin. So I'm going to, I don't know if there's any free diving mm. instructors around here, but I'm going to try this summer to, to do it. Definitely. Yeah, you should. I know there's some instructors down in Queenstown who dive in the lakes there, and I'm sure there's someone around in, in, in Christchurch, um, but definitely diving with those um, Hector's dolphins off the coast is, is a beautiful experience. Unreal. Um, well, yeah cheers for your time and your book um oxygen that's one i've been chatting about that i just read and um where can people find you so oxygen is um is only available in digital form now i think it's sold out in print um <clears throat> my website is williamtrubish.com the mental immune system that, that i was talking about before which is this um tool in order to combat stress and anxiety in any part of your life that's on mentalimmunesystem.com and on social media. I'm just Will Truebridge or William Truebridge, one of those. Brilliant. Cheers. Cool. Thanks, Brian. It's been great. Cheers for listening into the pod today. If you're new to the pod, welcome. Be sure to check out some earlier episodes and subscribe wherever you're listening so that you get the new episodes when they're released. In my mid-twenties, I began studying the mind and that led me to playing the best rugby in my life and enjoying it so much all the time, like regardless of results. Whereas when I was younger, there were highs and lows and it felt uncertain, like I was on a roller coaster. But then, when I began developing and harnessing my mind, it felt like I'd absolutely cracked the code. Now I work one-on-one -on -one with players, and yes, I help you overcome challenges, and we do mental skills work so that you can consistently perform at your peak. But I also help you expand your mind 
and grow as a person. You know the way you often feel like you have more in you. You have more to express. You have more to bring. And it kind of gets frustrating when, yes, you're getting some results, but you know you have more inside you. I help you bring that out. Every single player that I've worked with one-on-one for over 12 months has made a team that they didn't think they could make in that time and or signed a new increased contract that way more than covered the investment that they made in themselves for the one-on-one coaching. If you're a player or coach and would like to learn more, head over to offfieldrugby.com now and book your free 30-minute Zoom consultation with me. Through this podcast, I want to help millions of people live happier, more fulfilled, and more successful lives because I absolutely know that it's possible. If you want to be an absolute legend now and help me out, there's three things you can do. First is to share the pod. You can send it on some friends, share it on social media, and simply just tell people about it. Second, you can leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening now. On Apple Podcasts, when you click into the pod, you can scroll down and there's an option to leave a review and up to a five-star rating. And on Spotify, when you click into the pod, on the left-hand side, you'll see a little star. You can click on that and then leave up to a five-star rating again. And third thing, lastly, just make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening. Those three things, sharing the pod, leaving a rating and a review and subscribing really, really help the podcast grow, helps us help more people. So thank you so, so much. Please connect with me over on social media. Instagram is at Brian Moylet, at Offfield Rugby. LinkedIn is Brian Moylet. And any thoughts, questions, feedback, please let me know. I would love to hear from you. Thanks, Emil, for listening today. I really, really appreciate it. Be good to yourself, get after it, and I will see you next week. Cheers.